When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And today we are giving away our 2021 season award. So you're going to hear awards for MVP, most disappointing player, rookie of the year, most likely player to break out next year, most improved player, the biggest step back, the best acquisition, the worst acquisition, the biggest miss of the year, and the defining moment of the 2021 season. That's all coming up here on the awards edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. It's a panel of Mary Kay Cabot, Dougley Maurice, Ashley Bastock, Scott Patsko, and me. Now, if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, you got to be cleveland.com slash Browns the Blue Banner at the top of the page to get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day, access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns, and of course, a chance to become one of our text subscribers. All right, here we go. I won't make you wait any longer because I know you want to hear who won all of these awards. We go through each award, we nominate, we vote, and we give them away. Our Cleveland.com 2021 Browns Season Awards. All right, let's do it. Let's hand out some awards here on the Orange and Brown Podcast. And we are just going to start with the big one because I think there's going to be not too much debate about this. We're going to go with the MVP. Uh, to start us off for the 2021 Browns season. And so leading us off, making their case, Mary Kay, who did you have as your MVP? Well, of course, uh, the same person I think probably all of us do, maybe. Uh, and that is one Miles Garrett. He set the uh, the Browns record for most sacks of the season with 16. Uh, he tailed off at the end a little bit uh, when he suffered that groin injury. So in the future, uh, it would be nice if Miles could put together one full season where he's healthy the whole year and he can really make that run for NFL uh, Defensive Player of the Year because he sort of dropped off at the end, unfortunately for him and for the Browns. Uh, Also set the single game record with four and a half sacks against the poor and unsuspecting Justin Fields. They weren't ready for Miles that day, Uh, but all in all, a great season by Miles. Did anybody not have Miles Garrett? Let's just make this simple. Did anyone not have Miles Garrett for this award? No, no you know, I think there's an argument that you can be made. Like, obviously, when we did the team voting, I think we got two votes, right? When we did the PFWA awards. Um, so I think for that, most of us probably picked Miles and Denzel Ward, <laughs> given Denzel's year that he had. But I think, too, to add on to what Mary Kay said about Miles, Miles's year, He also really found his voice this year, I thought, and that was another super impressive aspect to me that he was always holding himself and other people around him accountable. Um, And he talked a little bit about that towards the end of the season, and um, he just is willing to be whatever kind of leader this team needs now. And I think you get that as you get more years into the league and and things like that. So I think he's just the total package when you're talking about um, an impact player. And I mean, he had the biggest moments this season. I think even beyond what he did stat wise, you know, the bears game, obviously, and just the grim reaper outfit and uh, some of the things he said kind of became big moments uh, and the way the team, you know, responded to what he said kind of became big moments. And even if you want to believe that 
sax didn't exist before 1982. <laughs> I'm putting an asterisk next to it. He's still half a sack away in, in my book, but uh, Bill Glass still has the record. Um, but it was still a really good season. He got where, where I think everybody expected him to get uh, as a pass rusher. He made it through you know, pretty much an entire season, which is a huge accomplishment. So, yeah. I mean, I had, I had a rant say Baker was really the most valuable player. And, but it's, you know, you can say that about any quarterback. It just comes down to the semantics of, the, of this award. It's, are we talking valuable or who had the best season? And Miles had the best season. Well, that's interesting that like someone's absence proved how valuable they were. They weren't very good, but we sure found out they were valuable. That's mm-hmm. an interesting, uh, you could like throw Kareem Hunt into that next a little bit too, I think, Scott, like the, mm-hmm. the people you found out about their value. I think it's interesting. Miles is the defining player of the franchise. It's kind of cool when you have somebody who is a defining player of the franchise. But to Mary Kay's point, I don't think we've seen his best season yet, right? This was a very good season, but it didn't feel like the peak. We all thought maybe it would be the peak. And obviously the groin at the end of the year had a, had a big part of that. I mean, there's a lot of guys we're going to talk about on this podcast that had sort of yeah butts with injuries along the way. But I think obviously clearly he's, he's the guy. Second highest PFF grade on the team. Joel Petonio's grade actually a little bit higher. It's kind of hard to make a guard you know, your MVP, but like, honestly, if there was going to be one, if there was a guard in the league that could make a case, maybe other than Quentin Nelson, you know, I think Joel Batonio is that kind of guy. I'm not going to make that case, but he's pretty good too. You know, I think that miles, um, I think he's got another gear that he can get to. And I think one of the things that we've heard about him over the years, even when he was in college uh, and I saw this on tape, when I watched all of his college tape uh, that he does sometimes need to have a little bit of a fire lit under him. And I remember I even talked to Sheldon Richardson about this in the off season. He provided that for him. He knew how to get him motivated. He would say to him, you know, Oh, well, that was only half a sack or you're not going to be able to do this. I mean, he, uh, used to be able to do that uh, for Miles. And I think there is another gear that he can get to. And I think Joe Woods really kind of alluded to that in his last press conference of the season when we asked him about Miles. And he basically said, you know, that elite high level of play, he, he wants to see that, you know, all the time uh, or, may, you know, or more often or something to that effect. And um, it's of course hard to do that when you've got two guys hanging on you or three guys hanging on you all the time. Uh, but there is something more. And the thing that he didn't do enough of this year, if, if we're going to get a little nitpicky here, is he did not have enough uh, takeaways, strips, all that kind of stuff. He had that one great play, uh, but that was his only takeaway of the whole entire season. And if you're a generational player, you need more of those kind of plays. I think too, you know, Jadavian Clowney had one of his best seasons and I think Miles had a lot to do with that. Uh, just the, the Tyler Huntley sack, the game, the sack that saved the Ravens game was because of Miles Garrett. He forced Tyler Huntley into Jadavian Clowney. And so I, I think a lot of that, I, I think Miles just impacts everybody along that defensive line. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Clowney had, you know, all of a sudden looked like Jadavian Clowney again uh, when, when he was playing with Miles Garrett. So um, I don't think we need to spend a lot more time on that. Miles Garrett's our unanimous MVP. Uh, Denzel Ward, I thought about making the case for him like you, Ashley, um, but it, it's, it's got to be Miles uh, at, at this point. So let's switch gears, and we have to go to the most disappointing player. And I'm actually curious. We're all going to have the same person here for this award. So getting to go number one on this one, Ashley, you're up. 
So I think there's a couple players that you can make a case here for. And I do think most of it has to do with injuries, but I think the big one is, is Baker. Obviously this was his second year in a system. I think we all kind of, we talked about this the other day in the QB draft pod, like we all, I think going into this season, the 2021 season had expected there to be more of a jump. And obviously the shoulder injury did impact him. Um, and that happened in the second week of the season. So I don't think it can be denied, but I think so many of the issues this year all go back to Baker, um, the way he performed, the way the offense looked. Now, circumstances around him, um, how that injury affected those, who's to say. Um, and I think obviously that's why going into next year is, is super important. But I think at the end of the day, his season was not what anyone envisioned, including himself. Doug, who did you have here? I do almost wonder if it's like fair to split it into like disappointing with an injury category and disappointing without an injury category. Yeah. Cause there's like kind of like multiple guys in both spots. So um, I, like Baker is so front and center. It's a little like not seeing the forest through the trees. Like I didn't have Baker. And then Ashley was like Baker. And I was like, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> Baker. And my other one, my other one was also basically an injury guy. It's Jed Wills. I mean, that's, you know, but that's somebody again, who got an injury earlier in the year and then how he responded and worked through that led to a disappointing year. So yeah, I, I kind of went, I was factoring in the injuries because I think those are actually the guys we've talked about the most in, in this category. So I'll, I mean, I think Baker's probably the obvious choice. I also had Ronnie Harrison on the mind, um, just some like blown coverages and stuff early in the year. His coverage grade all year was pretty bad. But I also, the, the point I wanted to make about that was that also makes sense to me because I think a lot of us would have agreed that a year ago, Ronnie Harrison was maybe the third best player on this defense. And then when you revamp the defense and bring in a lot more talent and then it's like, oh, Ronnie Harrison, he actually didn't seem as good as he was. It's like, yeah, because they got Jadavian Clowney and Greg Newsom and Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa and John Johnson and Troy Hill and Grant Delpit. And he went from the third best player on the defense to like the 14th best player on the defense. And the result was the defense was much better. So it's sort of one of those things where he wasn't great this year, but actually, I mean, other than the blown coverages that might've cost him a game, like that was kind of the plan for him to be not as important at least. So he's the other guy that came to mind, but obviously Ashley's case for Baker is pretty good. Yeah, so I had I had Baker, but I was I was thinking about Ronnie too, actually, Doug. And I don't know if that was just me being a victim of my own Ronnie Harrison hype machine. But look, I, they needed Ronnie to be, you know, Grant Delpit was coming off an Achilles, you know, and Grant showed promise this year, but he clearly wasn't ready to be your everyday, you know, like your every down starter at safety. And they needed Ronnie to be better. And he starts the year by getting kicked out against Kansas City. He doesn't show us some of the things he showed us you know, you kind of saw why Jacksonville was willing to give him up, even though that organization's a mess. You, you kind of saw like why they weren't just, you know, falling all over themselves to make sure he was part of their core moving forward. Uh, so I had him on my list, but I had to go with Baker too, just in part because, I mean, we just did the quarterback draft and we, we talked about it. We took Baker 11th in 2021 and nobody was like, whoa, that's crazy. And now this year we took him in the 20s. So I, I had to go with Baker on this, but Ronnie was was on my list as well. Mary Kay, who did you have? Uh, well, first, let me uh, say something about Ronnie really quick, because uh, it's I, I think that's a, a, a good pick by you guys because or at least a good thought by you guys uh, if you didn't pick him, because he really did have a very disappointing 
disappointing season to the point where I don't even know if he's going to be back next year. His contract is up. And, uh, and I think that uh, he's someone that, I mean, you can probably get him at a bargain basement price. So for that reason, you know, he might be back, but he, he did not have a good season. And uh, you know, even in some discipline ways, he just did not show a lot of discipline on the field. So I think that uh, that's one player that they're going to take a long, hard look at. I had Baker as my most disappointing player, um, regardless of the injury or not. And one of the reasons why I have Baker, a, a major part of the reason why I have him as my most disappointing player was the way that he handled the leadership aspect of this season. I don't think uh, that he displayed the leadership uh, skills that he needed to uh, in a season when they really needed this football team to pull together in the wake of Odell in, in the midst of his injury and all of those kinds of things. And just, we know some of the things that I'm talking about, but stalking off the field after the Detroit game, not, not fulfilling his media obligation, which again is speaking to the fans. It's not, nobody cares if he talks to us or not. He, and like he said the next day, he doesn't owe us anything, but he really does need to tell the fans how he feels after a game coming out the next day uh for his makeup press conference and calling out the fans not cool okay that's not what you do in your makeup press conference you don't call out the fans there um criticizing his head coach on two occasions not by name but criticizing the scheme twice after football games can't do that your leader of your offense cannot do that because guess what then Rashard Higgins might wonder if the play calling is any good or Jarvis Landry might wonder if the play calling is any good and Austin Hooper might start to question it as well United front never do that that is taboo you can't do it um, and then just you know the the final press conference of the season after the uh, after the Steelers game that just it just didn't, uh, you know, I'm going to talk to my agent and shut it down. It, it's just not, it's just not a leadership kind of press conference. So my biggest disappointment of the year came from that aspect of the leader of your franchise. I'm going to ask you guys permission to see if I can change mine, but Scott, I want to know who you had first. So, yeah, I, I had three names down. And I ultimately went with Ronnie Harrison for many of the things that have been mentioned here already. His, his PFF great job by like 20 points. His quarterback rating against, it was 88.3 last year. And it was up to, what, 100 and 122.5 this year. I mean, yeah, he didn't have to be oh. the best player or one of the best players on the defense, but he he didn't even, he he struggled to be a supporting player from all these, you know, from all the talent that they put on this defense around him. So that was really kind of surprising and disappointing. The other two guys, of course I had Richard Higgins cause you know, why not? He just disappeared. <laughs> I was waiting. And, I, was I waiting. mean, he was one of the, one of the main reasons why we talked so glowingly about this wide receiver room coming into this year. You know, he provided that depth, that consistency. Uh, he caught everything. Um, and yeah, not only did he not catch as, as well this year, he just, really kind of fell off the map as far as the depth chart went. And the other guy I had is Jamie Gian, who never, I mean, even last season, he didn't have his rookie year, but he just kind of just kept falling the wrong way. And it's, you know, to go from what he was as a rookie to basically being let go, it just, I don't know, that was, that was disappointing. 
Can I change my nomination? It's, sure. It'll be worth it. Go ahead. Yeah. Because I can't, I can't believe I didn't think of this earlier, and I can't believe yeah. nobody said this guy. Yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, oh that's not what you're, I was thinking. I thought you were thinking somebody else. Doug was all oh, excited, we, and then the light left his eyes. Yeah. We, spent, we spent all offseason talking about how Baker and Odell were going to make it work, and it was going to be awesome, and they're running routes on the side and training camp, and they're going to be awesome because of it. And the guy forced his way out by Halloween. It was post-Halloween. You guys are relitigating a lot of stuff that's going to get people mad. Was that surprising? Mad. Like, <laughs> was anybody really surprised how it went yeah. down? And it's Still, like it was... I think I, I think he's so tied in with Baker in that regard too. Kind of. I mean, I know he had his own issues and kind of, um, you know, Lance Rislin just did that story today about the what he saw on film, film reviewing OBJ's time here. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's like he never really, it never really clicked here. So like, I don't know that my expectations were ever that high necessarily. I don't know. It's kind of a victim of circumstance for me. We spent a lot of the off season talking about if Odell Beckham Jr. were, up, were on the field against Kansas the City, they would have won. I did not spend a you lot were of the off season. We, we spent a lot of time in the off season <laughs> making the case that if Odell would have been on the field in that playoff game in Kansas City, they would have won that game. And then he comes yep. back and like, He's dropping passes. Obviously, him and Baker just were never on the same page. I think even by the stand, even if you even if your standards were low, I think there's a case to be made that Odell is still a disappointment. I have him somewhere else on my list. Yeah, okay. uh, but, well, then but we can we can case, save it. Yeah, a, a strong case can be made. Uh, you know, for him here for for most disappointing, even though he's gone on to uh, have success with the Rams. I, I think just the whole Odell vibe here just was a very disappointing aspect of the season and how much is it him and how much is it other factors and the result is probably disappointing i think you're gonna there's people listening to this who would be saying well he's not disappointing because it's not his fault that he didn't produce so i guess getting all excited i thought you were gonna say chase mclaughlin i was getting all excited (laughs) there at the end i was like oh wait we're talking about special teams cool yeah the kicker who kept screwing stuff up and then dan was like the very famous receiver and i was like oh no (laughs) I thought we were going to talk about the kicker. It's a crowded field for this category. Let's be honest, right? <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. And lots of different criteria, like Doug said, you know, injuries versus just flat out disappointing and how we weigh that stuff. All, all that said, um, are we, it seems like we're going to end up voting Baker on this one, right? I don't know if we need to go through and, and take a one by one poll here. Are we going with Baker? Everybody good with that? Or we're going to give Baker so. whatever, whatever the name of this award is, we're going to give to Baker. Okay. Yeah. So now we go to rookie of the year. Oh, I get to go first. Okay. <laughs> well, my rookie of the year this year, and, and I, I mean, I don't think there's many choices. I'm going to go with Greg Newsom. And so I'll make the case for Greg. And then obviously some, someone else I'm sure will make a case for the other candidate. I think Greg Newsom, though, thrown out there as the starting outside corner opposite Denzel Ward, picked on a lot this year. I mean, teams went after him, even in, you know, the Steelers were going after him a bunch in that last, not that last game, but in, in week 17. I thought Greg Newsom held up really well, had some injury issues, uh, so, so he didn't play a ton, you know, every game. But I thought Greg Newsom held up really well this year as that outside corner and that win over Cincinnati in week, whatever that was, the 41-16 win, played really well and did a nice job against Jamar Chase when, when he was against him. So I, I think because of the position he plays, I'm going to go with him over JOK. But I'm sure 
somebody else is going to make the case for JOK. I don't know if it's going to be you, Ashley, but you get to go next. I was going to make the case for JOK. First of all, I agree with everything you said about Greg Newsom, and it, I mean, it really can't be said enough, and I know we've talked about this before, just how well Andrew Berry and company did during that draft. I mean, both of these guys have really worked out. My case for JOK, it mainly has to do with how quickly he came along, despite some of the injuries and, and weird things that happened to him this year. I mean, the weightlifting accident, getting COVID, obviously the ankle injury, um, and just the way he still managed to make improvements. And when I did that big story on him, that was obviously something I focused on. Um, the way he game preps already, the way he watches film, he fills up entire notebooks week to week for, for opponents. And obviously we saw that athleticism and just how versatile he is. He can go after a quarterback. He can, uh, you know, drop back in coverage if they need him to. So overall, he just, I think, fulfilled everything the Browns hoped that he would when they drafted him. And if he's already this versatile as a rookie, like the rest of the league should be on notice with this guy. And I think a year later, basically, it's kind of a, amazing to me that the Browns were able to get him in the second round that no one else took a chance earlier. Doug, make your case for Anthony Schwartz. Oh, man, I was hoping I'd get to talk about <laughs> Anthony Schwartz at some point. Uh, fast, not a receiver. Yes. Uh, I'm with JOK because I think he's different. Like he's he's rarer. Greg Newsom is a good corner and that is something that you need multiple guys uh to be in the nfl this year newsom played about a uh, hundred more snaps than jok newsom pff really good coverage grade not great against the run but that's fine um but i just you jok when he's there you notice him and when he's not there i thought by when he went out in the middle of the year you noticed that he wasn't there so um like Greedy had a good year. Denzel Ward had a great year. And that is not to take away from Greg Newsom. And I'm not at all diminishing the importance of cornerbacks, but they don't have anybody like JOK. And I just think that aspect of it at a position where they needed some athleticism, they needed some playmaking. I thought he started solving some of those issues. So JOK gets my vote. Yeah, I had JOK as well. Um, I think he, he came in and kind of solved the uh, linebacker rotation issues the Browns had the previous year. Um, he is late as week 12. He was second among linebackers in PFF grading. Um, and, you know, in the running, I think it was a legitimate defensive player of the or rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year candidate for much of the season. So uh, like, like what Doug said, I think, well, the fact that you have two solid candidates for this, I mean, is, is good news for the Browns. We're not kind of picking the best of the worst here. <laughs> um that you could go either way, but I'm, I'm going to go with JOK. All right, Mary Kay, are you going to save me here? Or are you going to gang up on me here and make this almost a clean sweep for JOK? No, I'm going to, I'm going to save you here. I am going to save you here um, because I think uh, you made such excellent points. And that's the way I feel too, that cornerback is such a premium position and you are out on an Island. And if you're going to screw up against Jamar Chase, the game is going to be over. I mean, you can't hide. Uh, not that you're hiding in the middle of the field as, as a linebacker, but it's, it's a position where uh, you can make some mistakes and they can be overcome. Uh, if you're out there, like I said, against some of these really top receivers in the NFL and, and you can't handle it, then it's going to show up 
in a hurry. And I think he showed some really, really good coverage capability. I thought he showed tremendous closing speed. I mean, he's got the kind of speed, which is so necessary, obviously, at the position against so many of the fast uh, receivers they're going up against. But there were times where he wasn't in position to make the play or somebody else wasn't in position to make the play. And he got there. He can get there in a hurry. And I, I just thought for, you know, for the position that he played, which I put it right up there. And some of us, you know, on this pod, even put cornerback uh, higher than defensive end in, in the grand scheme of premier positions. So that trumps linebacker for me. I went with Greg Newsom here. So uh, there were two of us that voted for Newsom, three that voted for JOK. Any of you JOK voters going to change your vote for us here? Nope. No. No. Absolutely well, not. JOK's strengths, by the way, are in doing things that aren't necessarily linebacker, uh, traditional linebacker duties, such as coverage and also rushing the passer, um, blitzing. Been very good at both of those. That's his versatility, I think, pushes him over the top for me. All right. Well, look, the the thing we can say is, you know, we don't know how the rest of that class is going to work out. But the way Andrew Barry approached that draft on those first two picks, kind of just letting it play out and getting a guy at 26 who could be in the running over the next few years of being, even though, what was he, the fourth corner off the board? He's going to be in the discussion for the best corner in that class. And then kind of getting aggressive and trading up to get JOK when he fell. Uh, That was masterful masterful work by the GM uh, making that happen. So now we're going to change to the most likely player to break out in 2022. I'm leading us off here. Oh, well. See, it's the same people. So, Doug, you get to lead us off on this one. I'm going to call an audible because it was me and Ashley again coming up one and two. So, Doug, you get to lead us off. Anthony Schwartz. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, can I say John Johnson the third? Like, is that is that is he you can too say whoever to you break want. out? Because I think the idea that like John Johnson the third came in the beginning of the year was sort of doing a thing that he had not done with the Rams. And then by the end of the year, he got in a little more comfortable situation, I think was a good player by the end of the year. There were parts, there were times like in the first half of the year where it was like, is John Johnson, John Johnson the third is actually not playing that well. Like he's not even necessarily like we thought he was going to be like a huge impact guy. And I think like off the field and sort of like talking about the team, he, he was, uh, has, certainly has leadership qualities. But I think maybe in his second year in this Joe Woods defense that John Johnson III might be a pro bowler next year. And that, that a lot of the things that he was showing by the end of the year, if you get 17 games of that, I think you'll raise the level on that back end even higher than what it was this year. So, you know, they, they have some, they have a lot of young veterans now. It's like, you know, Denzel Ward, I think like was a guy who like broke out this year, went from good to like, wow, really good. So, you know, and they have some older guys, and then they have a couple of these young guys like JOK, JK breakout more, reduce some breakout. There's a lot of sort of in-between candidates here. So I couldn't really come up with somebody better than this. So, but I think I think I can make a reasonable case for him. So I'll say JJ3. I like that. I didn't consider him, but I like that one. You you made a good case there. Mary Kay, who do you have? You know, this is where I have JOK because I think that there is so much more to him than we have seen yet and I thought he had a really good rookie year and in fact I was kind of torn between uh, Greg and JOK for rookie of the year for all the reasons that we have discussed but I think that he has only scratched the surface 
And I think that uh, because of the versatility and all the things that he can do, uh, I think that he is going to be involved in a lot more takeaways going forward when the game slows down for him. Uh, you know, I think that uh, he had a weird year where he, you know, was injured. He had COVID. He had like the weightlifting accident. It was, he wasn't able to hit the ground running the way that I think he will next year. And therefore I think you're going to see so much more for him. They're going to look at the tape and they're going to say, let's blitz him more. You know, let's drop him into coverage more. Let's get his hands up. Let, I just think that he's going to be dynamite and, uh, and the big year will be next year. That's why I had here too. Uh, I, want, I want the JOK for this one, just because I think knowing what he can do, the fact that he kind of showed you he's ready this year and he was able to take on that, that big workload. Now you kind of go into next year knowing, okay, this guy can handle it. Let's, let's get him better. This was always going to be like a multi-year, you know, path for JOK. And so the fact that he was so good his rookie year already just means there's so much more to unlock with him, I think. Uh, so Scott, who did you have? I went with a guy who we might've voted for last year and Grant Delpit. Um, I know somebody probably brought him up for this category, uh, but over the end of the, the season, like since week 11 on when he became a, a full-time starter and his, his snaps kind of got more consistent, uh, he played really well. He was actually 20, what was he, 27th, 25th, actually 22nd in PFF grading over that stretch. He was like 10 points higher over that stretch than he was for the entire season. Um, his coverage grade was 81.7 quarterbacks completed only 39% of their passes or actually had a passer rating of 39.0 against more of that stretch. So he really, he played well down the stretch and I think you kind of build off that. And if you do end up moving on from Ronnie Harris, and I think you feel better, you feel okay about it, knowing that Grant Delpit maybe uh, gets a larger role from the get-go next season. Um, so he's my pick. You know what? I was originally thinking JOK like you guys, but Doug made a convincing argument. I hate to say once again, I hate to agree with Doug, but JJ three. I mean, I think we heard him talk about how, how difficult this transition was for him. Um, and I think going back to the Patriots game, like if you were on Twitter during that game and you're a Browns fan, like my feed was just filled with people kind of obliterating JJ three and, and how he looked and some of the mistakes he made and just letting guys, you know, run right past him <laughs> or, or whatever. So I, I do think like he has the X factor in terms of leadership. I think he's very good at that stuff. I think the fact that he will be one year into being in Cleveland is, is promising. And I think he could take a, a bigger jump next year. His three healthy years with the Rams, he was there for four years. He graded above 80 in all three of those years in PFF. He was an 85 his last year with the Rams. He was a 68 with the Browns this year. So it's just the, the totality of it just didn't play as well. So great choice, Ashley. Okay, so we've, we've kind of got a problem here. So we've got two for JOK, two for JJ3, and one for Grant Delpit. I liked the case for all of those. I think I'm going to break this one because I'm going to change mine. And I'm going to go, I'm going to jump on this John Johnson bandwagon. So we're going to give this award to John Johnson the third. I'm going to be the third vote there. Um, and Jeremiah Usukoromoa gets to come in second on, on this one. But I, th I think all of those guys are real candidates. And, and Scott, I'm glad you brought up Grant Delpit because, again, he's another guy. He might have won it last year. If I didn't go back and look. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's definitely a guy. And we talked about Ronnie Harrison earlier, right? I mean, it's going to be Grant Delpit's show next year along with JJ3 
So I, I think there's a case to be made for all of those guys. Okay, let's move on to most improved player. I got to be honest with you, I had some trouble with this one. So I want to see who you guys put up there. Scott, you get to go first. I'm a, I don't know if anybody's going to going to have this. Uh, I'm going to go with MJ Stewart. Uh, he's a guy who is just kind of off the radar and down the depth chart on this team. Uh, they really brought in a lot of people to play safety, and he was just kind of in the background for most of the season, special teams. Um, and then when they needed him, he came on and became one of the best safeties in the league over the last five weeks of the season. He's actually, he was second in PFF grading over that stretch when he consistently had to go back and forth between slot and safety. And I think uh, really saved the Browns defense from having huge holes at the end of the season. You know, they continued to play well, despite all those uh, personnel issues they had down the stretch. And MJ Stewart was a big reason for that. Uh, having a guy who could come in and kind of rotate between two spots uh, was huge. Um, so yeah, he's my pick. Okay. That's a good one. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, MJ Stewart kind of moving him to safety transitioning him to safety was, was something that Joe Woods wanted to do this year. And we saw that versatility. Doug, who did you have here? Can I, can I make another weird pick? I, I think all of these are going to be weird. <laughs> so so this guy, again, this, I think sometimes for all awards like this, we, we all do this. It's like you pick a guy who went from like, eh, to good. And I'm going to pick a guy who went from like good to great. So I'm going to pick Joel Batonio, who is a first team all pro for the first time, who has a PFF grade of 93 this year. His previous high was last year was 85. Scott had talked about this. I know we were talking about the offensive line and he went, you know, Scott was saying like, Hey, last year, sort of a bunch of guys had career years. And then this year, sort of only Batonio and like Joel Batonio is legitimately like one of the best players in football right now. Like he does his job as well as anybody. And to be a first team all pro for the first time in year eight, like he made a jump and he's a guard. So I think it's, it's, doesn't leap to mind as much. And he's like the heart and soul of the Browns. He's the only guy left who went through all the garbage, every bit of it, and is here for this now. But he's like awesome. He is a tremendous football player. Like if he was a receiver or a quarterback or a whatever, it'd be like, oh my God, the Browns have one of the best guys in the league at this. So Maybe we wouldn't normally think of it this way, but even as good as he was, I think he got better this year. I think, I mean, clearly all, all the numbers, I think your eyeballs tell you too. He played his best football in 2021 and he got rewarded for it. So I'll say him. I was just going to say, I mean, you make a very compelling case. I didn't think about him because I'm so used to, I've watched him every single snap he's played since the day he got here. And I just almost, you start to take for granted uh, just how good he is in the same way that you did with Joe Thomas. Uh, but you're right. He did take a jump up this year and he played left tackle really, really well mm -hmm. when they needed him to, uh, to the point where you like, you have to wonder, should he be the left tackle next year? I'm sure that is, <laughs> that's crossed everybody's mind. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you make a very strong case. I did not think of him for this, but uh, my mind could be changed. I'm, I'm with Mary Kay on this. I, I feel like and, uh, you know, Doug, you're making the case for this being a career year, but I think Joel Batonio has just always been this guy. And I just don't think anybody ever paid attention. But, I mean, you go back to – so he had the Liz Frank injury in 2016, I believe it was. And then he came back and he hasn't missed a snap since outside of the, the COVID game. Um, 
he's kind of just been this guy. And even last year when Wyatt Teller was getting all the headlines, it was Joel who was like, oh, this is their best offensive lineman right here, him or Jack Conklin. So I, that, that's the only pushback I would give you. I, I mean, he's having a career year, but his career, the bar is already so high. Like, this, I think he's just been flying under the radar more than anything. But, um, yeah, that's an interesting one. Mary Kay, who did you have here? You know, I had Greedy Williams here. Uh, Greedy Williams is a player that, um, you know, he's he somewhat struggled a little bit in his rookie year to the point where uh, you, you really had to wonder where his career was going to go and if he was going to be able to make it, uh, you know, in the league as a, as a really good cornerback. And then, of course, what happened with him last year was a challenge. Uh, but he got thrown into the fire this year, and I thought he rose to the occasion. And he did a really, really nice job at the most demanding, toughest position on defense. And he was out on an island at times, and he did really well. Now, as the season went along, he's another one of those guys that this also flew under the radar. He kept injuring the shoulder over and over again, and people do not realize what he went through. So if you saw his production tail off a little bit at the end, I attribute that in large part to the fact that he was out there in all kinds of pain and all kinds of whatever's going on with axillary nerve damage in his shoulder. But he fought through it. Uh, I commend him for, um, you know, for being able to, to get out there and do it. But the hard work that he put in to get better in year two that he was never able to display and show on the field last year, I think that showed up. Uh, right away this year when uh, you know we got the when he got the interception in his first start in place of Greg Newsom and I'll tell you what when your number one pick when your number 26 overall pick goes out with an injury that could be catastrophic or goes out with you know can't can't play because of a concussion or whatever um, that can really kill you and it didn't because of greedy Williams so just all the way around Happy for him, proud of him, and a nice job by him. Ashley, who did you have here? Well, um, I will say, because Scott, I know you said you thought your MJ Stewart pick was a little off the wall. He was my number two that I had on this. And I would actually also make the case for him if, if I'm not allowed to pick the guy who I'm going to make the oh. case for right now, because he wasn't on the Browns the year before, Janavian Clowney. I mean, he had a career resurgence here now to the point that this is, you know, the best year the healthiest he's been in, in a long, long time. I think it totally changed the makeup of the defensive line. He was a definite upgrade. He fit alongside Miles Garrett perfectly. Um, he was able to, like I said, mostly stay healthy. I think he only missed one game when that knee flared up. The other games he missed were obviously because he was on the COVID list. Um, but overall, just a really, I think, became an integral piece in a way that a lot of people did not think was possible for him anymore at this point in his career. That's a really interesting one, and I didn't consider him. Did anybody else consider him? No, but it's, it's smart. I think it's compelling for sure. I'm, I'm calling you smart. Cut the audio, Dan. I want that. <laughs> I'm, I'm wavering here. I, I had Dearness Johnson, but I, uh, I mean, I can't. I can't Doug, make it. small sample size argument. I see it. I, I can't. I don't know. I think I almost have to, to go with you, Dave. Look, we're going to have to vote on this one. We're going to have to figure this one out because we have all of us nominated somebody different here. I'm switching my 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 vote to Batonio uh, over weeks 15 and 16 when he had to move to left tackle. 
he was second among all offensive linemen and PFF grading. I mean, that that move right there, I think, for me, puts him over the top. I think it's okay to take somebody who was always good and then just became, like Doug said, great uh, over the course of a season. So I, li- I like that pick. I'm switching mine to Clowney. So, Mary Kay, you're the tiebreaker here. It's oh, funny. If Scott hadn't talked first, I was but, maybe going to switch mine to Greedy. But uh, Clowney, I'll, I'll, I'll hang with Petonio now. Clowney had one of his worst seasons against the run this year. Um, I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> but that feels that feels like that guy that was making the case on Twitter the one year that Aaron Donald isn't good against the run. <laughs> I have, you know, some of these guys I have at other spots and, and so like, I want them to be the guy at the other spot. Like I wanted Greg with multiples. I know, but like, I wanted Greg to be the rookie so that JOK could be the breakout. Uh, But um, so some of these guys I, I like in other areas and I feel like a lot of different names should be represented in our awards. Um, So I like, I like Jadavian somewhere else. Uh, I mean, I don't know, like Betonio probably should get an award somewhere, by the way. I don't know. I don't even know what else is coming, but it's like, yeah, he's definitely one of their two best players, right? Is that, are he and Miles the two best players on the team right now? Like we didn't even really have a Betonio MVP discussion because I mean, I'm going to give it, but there's two first team all pros on this team and Betonio is the other one. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what other categories are coming, but if he's not going to get one of those, maybe you should get this. Well, this reminds me of the uh, this long stretch of years where, uh, as a PFWA group, well, like we weren't naming Joe Thomas as the MVP of, of the team. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we had to like stop and say, "Hey, we need to make Joe Thomas the MVP of, of the football team here." Um, so, yeah, Joel Joel needs something. Let's give Joel this one. All right. Of all the awards, I thought we would give Joel Batonio most improved. Was, was not one of them, but there we go. Um, Doug, you made a convincing case and you swayed everybody. Biggest step back. We've been a little too positive here. So now we got to, now we got to change it. Now we got to go to the biggest step back in 2022. And the person who gets to go first on this one is Mary Kay. Biggest step back. I feel so bad um, naming either. <laughs> like- Can I ask a question real quick, real quick? Yeah. yeah. Is it just players? No. I think I think we can go anybody. Okay. There are no rules. There are no rules on this awards show. I wonder who Doug's gonna pick. We know where you're going with that, Doug. Okay. So I have two guys written down here. I guess I'm gonna go with because one of the the guys was injured enough, and I'm trying to give him a pass for that this year. And I don't know. I want to wait till next year to see if he's going to come back to where they need him to be. But the guy that I just thought uh, took a big step back was Austin Hooper. Uh, I think the expectations for him are high. I mean, the the tight end play in the NFL is so important right now. And teams that are getting phenomenal production out of their tight ends uh, are some of the most successful teams in, in the NFL right now. And their tight ends are a huge part of that. And I think that's the reason why the Browns signed Austin Hooper was to be their kind of, not quite, but their Travis Kelsey, their George Kittle, their Mark Andrews, their Rob Gronkowski, right? Um, 
And he just hasn't been that. And I thought he got worse this year. Somehow, some way he got worse, despite the fact that he spent all this time with Baker Mayfield in the offseason, socially and throwing the ball and repping it. And yet they still couldn't kind of connect. And so for me, especially for $10.5 million a year, that's my biggest step back. Okay, mine is a guy we already talked about. Uh, I had I had Ronnie Harrison on here. You know, we talked about him earlier, so we can uh, we can move on from that. Ashley, who did you have? Um, mine's also a guy we talked about a little bit. I'm gonna steal Scott's thunder here and say Richard Higgins. Looking at his PFF grades, I mean, every single one of his season grades went down from 2020. So that's my biggest step back. Yeah, I, I had an honorable mention for this. I, it, it was Mac Wilson at first, uh, who actually played well. Uh, when he was on the field, but he just took a huge step back in terms of getting on the field on defense. He kind of became a special teams player down the stretch. Um, uh, not really sure what his future is here at this point. It seems like there are other guys on this roster that uh, they like better doing the things that we assumed he could do. Um, but yeah, I, my, my main guy here was Richard Higgins. Um, I mean, his, his catch rate dropped by like almost 20%. He couldn't get on the field. Uh, just big kind of, I mean, I saw this as like this and the disappointing thing. We're kind of like meshed together a little bit, a lot of same candidates. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, I don't know. His career has been a roller coaster, up and down, up and down. And last year was good again. This year, not so good. Next year, he'll be back and he'll have a great year. Okay, the four words I'm going to regret saying, Doug. The floor is yours. <laughs> I mean, if you open your mind to it, I'm not sure how it could be anybody other than Kevin Stefanski. The guy was the coach of the year in the NFL last year for a team that made the playoffs. People picked them to like make the Super Bowl this year, maybe, and they have a losing record. And people are wondering if he should call the plays anymore. They're wondering about his relationship with the quarterback. His best receiver stormed out of town and it didn't seem like he could do anything about it. Like a year ago, Nobody had any questions about Kevin Stefanski. And I'm not saying all these things mean that like he's a terrible coach or that he should be fired or anything. But I think almost every Browns fan has at least one question about Kevin Stefanski right now and maybe five. And his team regressed with lots of talent. And yeah, there were injuries, of course. But as we've also said, lots of teams have injuries. And it did not feel like a guy who was like, making them overcome all this stuff. I didn't feel like they were overcoming a lot this year. They were sort of letting these things that went wrong ruin their season. So that lands at the doorstep of the guy in charge who last year was voted the best in the league at what he did in the first year he ever did it. And now his team went eight and nine. So like, if we're allowed to vote for the coach, man, I don't even know who Rashard Higgins what he was supposed to be their fourth best receiver and he Why was their seventh best receiver. Who cares? Enough. There were no, other no. picks there. That but I'm just saying, I mean, all the other ones are fine, but in terms of impact, my God, if this guy was, if this guy had coached to the level of a coach of the year, the Browns might be playing right now. I'm not saying it's all his fault, but I'm not sure exactly what he fixed this year while the stuff went a little haywire. So I'm definitely voting for Stefanski. 
what football coach is any good when his quarterback is having a horrible no, year? But then, but then, what, then why does he get the credit for last year? It's one of the, are we giving credit or no blame? Are we giving blame and no credit? Like, I, like, I don't know. We many gave him an award last year. I we don't gave know. Him an award last name, year. Name me a coach in the NFL that can win on a consistent basis when Did their you, quarterback is having a horrible, horrible, what, horrible year. Finishing what if, seventh in the NFL. What if it was Stefanski's accomplishment that he got him to eight and nine, and it really was on its way to being a much, much worse year? What if the accomplishment in his in his performance was getting him to that point? We're now we evaluating assume, Kevin Stefanski. We all, we all measured it, we all five and twelve last year. We all measured against last year. What if it was a coaching job that got them at least to near five hundred when it was headed for a disaster because of what you said, all the injuries and uh, poor performances, things like that. So why does the coach get any blame then? Doug, I'm actually going to side with you on this. Okay. I, I'm, I'm actually going to change mine to Kevin. And I, I was, when you said, when you said it at the beginning, I thought, Oh, you know what? Maybe this is where I should go, but I don't want to like steal your thunder on this one. Dan, you're too much of a pushover when his voice oh. gets like that. When Doug <laughs> really, really, really high, Dan, you fall for it. Don't I, fall for it. I think, I think there yeah. is a legitimate case to be made that the Browns just kind of did what they did all year. And he didn't make the effort to fix things as much as he, he didn't make the effort. I shouldn't say that things didn't get fixed. That's what I should say. All right. I'm going to change I, mine. There, there were times when I'd, I, I said this on the pod multiple times, why couldn't the Browns have been the Colts? Why couldn't they have ridden Nick Chubb? Uh, and let him lead the league in rushing yards and, and played like that. You know, I mean, multiple times we said, you know, you're going against a terrible run defense and the Browns, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not like the pound the ball, run the ball guy, but sometimes look, if you've got Nick Chubb, use Nick Chubb. If your quarterback stinks, you know, why didn't Case Keenum come out in the second half against Green Bay? Why were some of the, why did you continue to roll Baker Mayfield out there when he was playing so poorly? Is Case Keenum a savior? No, but. We saw it for 17 games. The floor of Baker Mayfield was killing this team and they never even tried. So I do think that I don't think Kevin as a play caller was necessarily the biggest problem. I think the quarterback was the bigger problem, but I do think there's a case to be made that there might have been some fixes they could have tried and they didn't. So yeah, I'll go, I'll go with Doug on this one. It could have given him a better kicker. Okay. But they could have. So I mean, does, doesn't Kevin have some say in this though? Oh yeah. Can't Kevin go to Aunt, go? Can't Kevin go knock on Andrew's door and say, "Hey, I need a better kicker, man." I guess if somebody was out there to sign that was a better kicker, they probably would have signed a better kicker. I mean, that's I mean, also, right there. A little bit is the, like the definition of this. It's biggest step back, right? So it's compared to what you were last year. Last year, he was the coach of the year. So his level was so much higher than some of these other people that we're talking about. So when we're measuring step back, I'm not saying he went from the best coach to the worst coach because a lot of dudes are getting fired, but I don't know that anybody's voting him for coach of the year right now. And it's you're, you're responsible for the results at some point, you know, not, it's not all your fault, but the idea that it could have been worse. So they're eight, and nine, they got a free win at the end of the year. They should have been seven and 10, the Bengal. I mean, so, so you went from the playoffs to that, like all these must win games down the stretch. You didn't come close. Then you came close in green Bay. Well, they came close. 
<laughs> but yeah, like, that's the problem. But the stretch, so or, or even that, you did come close and you never got over the top, right? right. I mean, I mean I, like I, like, I don't know. like you said, Doug, you came close in Green Bay. So what happens if you make that move at halftime and say, Case, just don't throw the ball to that other team. Just don't do that. And we're going to run Nick Chubb like crazy because he's having the best game of his season. Maybe you win that game. It, that, th- those are the little things that I think you can certainly make the case for. I, I think the upside on Kevin, I mean, look, I, I said on a pod earlier this year that I think Kevin can be the Browns, Mike Tomlin or, or John Harbaugh down the road. But that, that doesn't mean that he's, free of being criticized and I think that's I think it's fair to be critical of some of the things and the decisions he made this year even if his quarterback stunk I'm gonna I'm gonna change my vote uh I'm gonna go with Ellis that guy disappeared over the second half <laughs> of the season oh, I don't I'm know what my to vote him. too <laughs> I didn't know we could vote for former podcast people <laughs> oh yeah oh Kevin Stefanski was great Ellis for sure <laughs> uh all right, we, so what, we, we got two a, Higgins and two Stefanskis? We or got three two Stefanskis? Higgins and two Stefanskis and an Austin Hooper. And I thought about Hooper too, by the way, Mary Kay, but I think my expectations were so low that I just I couldn't. They shouldn't but, be for your $10.5 million tight end. They should but be. But Mary Kay, you, you yeah. thought who Austin Hooper wasn't that great last year, right? Yeah, but I thought he took a, I thought he took a step back, just like Joel Batonio took a little step up. And we gave yeah. him most improved. Uh, I don't think it was a – I think instead of taking – the big step up that he was supposed to take this year, because that's what it was supposed to be. You heard Kevin Stefanski at the beginning of the season say, we're going to get him more involved. We are going to get him the ball more and he's going to grow. His role in our offense is going to grow. Instead, he was a bigger disappointment than he was last year. And because of the magnitude of the acquisition and because of the price tag on the player, I just think that that was uh, a very, very significant setback for the team. But everybody else makes great cases. I'm not huge into the Richard Higgins thing because, like Doug pointed out, I, I, he, he's the fourth receiver. He's, you know, not an afterthought, but as pretty close to as, an afterthought as you can get. So I still like my Hooper, and you guys make a very compelling case for Kevin Stefanski, which I never thought about him because I thought we were mostly doing players. But you guys, I mean, you, you make compelling cases. I mean, there are situations in which, uh, you know, he probably could have run the ball more. There, there are situations in which uh, they should have thrown the ball and didn't. And, um, you know, and maybe he did not handle the aftermath of, of Odell as well as he should have or communicate well enough with his team leaders so that they weren't calling out coaches. I mean, I suppose you can make, I suppose you can make a case. So if I, had to pick between Higgins and Stefanski, I'll, I'll go Stefanski. I'll go Stefanski too, for the reason that he definitely took a step back in opening himself up to more ways to be criticized this year. Yeah, I will also, I mean, we can just make this a clean sweep. I know Doug wanted to make the case so bad. (laughs) I'm not the only one. Doug, why are you laughing? I live, I, as soon as Doug showed his tipped his cards, I mean, we all knew where he was going. I didn't think he was going to say uh, Joe Woods. Like, <laughs> there's no way to overcome the high voice. When it oh, gets no. up I that know, range, the voice cries. It's over. We're all it's done. Over. Doug I is was... too animated. He's too, too, way too animated to argue against. 
you, I, I came into the podcast thinking today, I'm not going to be animated today. And I couldn't help it. The, <laughs> I, I also thought you could vote for the assistant special teams guy who got fired while Mike Prefer's special teams finished 30th in the league. But let's fire the assistant guy. It's all his fault. Oh, I don't, we didn't even know who that guy was. And it was like, oh, Mike, Mike Prefer's staying. But that guy is out. Now it's all fixed. I like that Scott's case was, well, I do blame Kevin Stefanski for opening himself up for Doug to unfairly criticize him. <laughs> I didn't say it was unfair. He can be criticized. He definitely gave himself more opportunity for that this year, though. Let's take a break, and then we'll finish this up. we got about four more awards to give out, uh, including the defining moment and the biggest miss of the year. Speaking of kickers, right? All right, we'll take a break on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast awards show, we've got best acquisition, worst acquisition, defining moment, and biggest miss of the year. So a regret, a game that got away, whatever it is, however you define biggest miss. I don't know how much time we have to spend on best acquisition. Clowny, did anyone have, who else did you guys have? I had JJ3. JJ3. I think that was more important. Um, they needed somebody in the back of that defense to bring stability. Uh, he ended up having a good season once uh, things kind of started clicking. Um, and you're not worrying about whether or not he's going to be back next year. I think that's a, something you have to factor in. So, yeah, he was my pick. Green sticker guy for most of the year, too. Go ahead, Mary Kay. I had Clowney. Uh, you know, not only did he have nine sacks, my goodness, in his previous 19 games, he had three. He had nine sacks this year. Uh, and one of the biggest contributions that I think that he made was to help out Miles Garrett. I mean, you really kind of need that excellent second DE uh, to, to make Miles pop. And I think without Jadavian, Miles probably doesn't have the 16 sacks. He might not have even set the team record or any of those kinds of things. I just thought that the Jadavian was a, a great acquisition for them this year. Doug, who did you have? Do you have Clowney? Johnson? I also think bang for the buck, right? I, I, I agree with what Scott's saying, like that JJ3 was so targeted and it was like, boom, let's start the offseason for this. They need a playmaking safety. They need somebody to settle the back end. They targeted one of the two or three best guys available at that position and they locked him up. That is good GMing. But he's like, 11 million on average. And I do Scott's point that like, and now he's here. That's great. But to take like an $8 million swing on clowny and get this when I, I was certainly skeptical of like, what are you going to get from this guy? As, as Ashley had said earlier, he had not played at this level in a long time. So um, I think Scott's point is well taken that we aren't sitting here saying, Oh, is John Johnson the third going to be back. But I just think the bang for the buck on clowny was through the roof. So I'll pick him. Yeah. And he was half the price of all of those other defensive ends that they thought about signing half, he came at 50% discount. Yeah. Like, like Trey Hendrickson was awesome this year, but he also cost what? 16 million. You got, you got Clowney for 10 and that was with the incentives. Ashley, who did you have? I also had Clowney. Like, I, I mean, basically everything I said, I had him for most improved as well. So I thought he was kind of the obvious choice here for me. I mean, I think he, he just overperformed in a way that, I, I was willing to give him two of these nameless superlatives. <laughs> now, one other thing real quick is that uh, I also wrote down Greg Newsom here, and I, I, I wish we were giving Greg Newsom something because I think he, he did have 
a really, really good rookie season. And he was their first overall pick. And I thought he lived up to it. Uh, so I had him here, but I, I'm still going. I still have Clowney number one. I've tried to give him some award. I just don't, I just don't have the high voice that Doug has. Apparently I gotta, I gotta get that. <laughs> yeah, high you're voice not, here. you gotta get the high voice. You gotta get working on that. So you can be more persuasive. Maybe when we go back, we can go revisit two or three and four, and we can talk those guys into Greg as the rookie of the year and JOK as breakout. Oh, then, we, then we lose JJ three as breakout. Okay. Is it good or bad that Clowney basically had an identical year to Olivier Vernon in 2020? I think it's good. it's good from sacks from pressures it's pff grading it's what you needed olivier really? had a good season yeah nine sacks nobody thought jadavian Clowney was going to have nine sacks nobody thought that that's why yeah like that's why his incentives only went up to nine like i mean that was he maxed out his incentives with his sack bonuses i hate when scott makes me reconsider stuff like that because it's like i thought when i watched Olivier vernon it was like there's a sack and the other 60 plays in that game i'm not sure what he did and it felt mm. like Clowney was more impactful play to play, but then Scott saying also his run grade wasn't that good. No, don't stand your ground. Don't, right. don't. Yeah, I'm standing my ground. <laughs> oh, gosh. Doug, you're reaching, you're reaching new frequencies only heard by dogs. I really had a discussion it's with okay. myself. Okay, you guys can go body. with Clowney. It's okay. I'll just be the dissenting voice. I'm gonna start screaming. Let's do it. The last three awards, I'm just gonna scream them out. Doug, worst acquisition. Worst acquisition. We're moving on to the next thing yes. now. Worst acquisition. I just would like like to preemptively congratulate Garrett Wilson on winning best acquisition a year from now. Um, worst acquisition. I did not have one written down for this, and I was going to let it play out a little bit because they acquired so many guys that I did think really. So oh, Anthony Schwartz. Sorry. <laughs> It just came to him. It's like, it's what am I doing? Him. It's right there in front of me. Poor Anthony, you have been hammering away at that poor kid all season long. You owe, you should send him a little note and tell him that you're sorry and that you're going to be a better human being next year. Yeah, he got to Lambo leap, Doug, in Lambo. I think he should send Browns fans a note and apologize for being not less, not more productive as uh, a third round pick. Concussion uh, for three weeks. The poor kid had a brain injury. I mean, it's, it's a third round pick. I get it. All this stuff. He just does not, he just does not look like a guy who's on the edge of, of helping them yet. I just want, and I know Scott, this is not fair to do this, but Amon Ross St. Brown for the lions who got picked at pick one twelve um, after Anthony Schwartz went in the third round, like had like a thousand yard receiving year. So like there you can find receivers and the Browns took a third round shot, a third round. We had a whole discussion about like, what's a flyer. What's not a flyer. What's sort of rolling the dice. What's important. A receiver in the third round is not a flyer to me at that position that you can find guys who can sort of help you. And he was not ready to help them. Yes, the injury set him back, but he is a raw receiver, and maybe there's a lot out there. But we, the way we talked about him at times in the preseason, and yes, as with a lot of other guys, injuries affected it. I mean, by the end of the year, they were handing off to him finally a couple times. He's just not ready to like run a route and catch a ball. He's not. So for a third-round pick, I thought that was disappointing. Yeah, I, I just didn't want to put a rookie. I didn't want to put a rookie in this position. I just feel like... They need more time, but uh, Schwartz was 
disappointing. And even when they handed him the ball, like, and I think a lot of it was just, he was hesitant. He wasn't comfortable. He never looked like a four, two, six guy. And, you know, so, so I think that that was kind of the disappointing thing with him. I had, I kind of hate this because I really like this guy, but I had Malik Jackson here. I, the defensive tackle position was so bad this year. And you brought in Malik Jackson to be your starter. And he didn't do anything better this year than Sheldon Richardson or Larry Ogunjobi did. And I'm not saying those, and those two guys weren't great. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm putting Malik Jackson here as a guy that I just had higher hopes for. And, and that position just didn't do a whole lot. I mean, who was the best guy there? Was it Malik McDowell? I mean, we know kind of where that's headed. So yeah, I, I just, because of the disappointing, the disappointment in the position and the fact that he was kind of a guy you chose to bring in and replace the guys that you let walk. And I know it's not a position they necessarily value. I had to go with him as, as the worst acquisition. That's who I also had, Dan. I mean, you look at his PFF grades. He has, I think, the fourth worst defensive grade on the team. And then obviously, I think when they brought him in, like they knew that injuries were an issue. They still were an issue this year. And yeah, I mean, I think that unit as a whole was just the, the weakest link on this defense for multiple reasons what, based on what they value and and things like that. But definitely, I, I think this one was hard. I struggled to, to pick somebody with this one and he was the only one I could see myself making a, a case for. Yeah, I had Jackson as well. I mean, you could package McDowell, Jackson, Tommy Toki. Yeah, I mean, pretty much anybody... It was new on the defensive interior. Um, they, you had Clowney and Garrett on the outside, which helped them improve on their sacks over the previous year. But you didn't have anybody in the middle to take advantage of that and push up their pressure rate. They still finished like middle of the pack in pressure rate, largely because they just weren't getting enough from the interior. And Jackson was one of the guys that you expect to get that from. He didn't come close to uh, – what, what the Browns had uh, with Richardson, obviously. And he, he barely got to Larry Ogunjobi uh, his season with the Browns uh, last year. So yeah, Jackson, I think was, was an easy choice. I mean, all the defensive tackles just kind of failed uh, this season, but the first name I did write down was Anthony Schwartz, by the way. Um, I don't know if that was just instinct or what, but the, Looking at him now, though, he's the receiver you pick in the third round when you have Landry and OBJ, when you have DPJ coming off an exciting finish, and when you have uh, Higgins coming off one of the best years of his career. Like, that's the receiver that maybe you take in the third round and you kind of hope you hit. And clearly they didn't, and it ended up hurting them because you lose OBJ, your quarterback is having a rough year, and now you have this rookie who is not going to make anybody around him better, and he needs a good quarterback having a good year to maybe get the most out of him. And yeah, he was just kind of a non-factor. Okay. Right, who did you have here? I really want to scream this, but I just don't think I'd be very good at trying to do the scream thing. So <laughs> um, maybe I can yell it a little bit. That's what I'll do. I'll yell it. I'll just bring it up the uh, decibel level <laughs> a bit. My worst acquisition of 2021 was Chase McLaughlin, the kicker. I agree. The kicker. 15 of 21. Four of 10 from the all-important 40 to 49-yard range. Went, missed six kicks in a span of eight weeks. Lost the Raiders game. No, 
Chase McLaughlin. How am I doing with the with the uh, screaming? Pretty good. This is the most <laughs> persuasive you've ever been on this podcast. <laughs> I, I think you might you might have gotten me too. I think it's just the the loudness. I think it's just that I'm loud. That's it. Really, it works. I think it works. Um, but come on. Chase McLaughlin. Now, let me revisit the Malik Jackson thing for a minute here. I see where you guys are going with that. But sometimes you bring an enforcer onto your football team. When your name is Joe Woods, and it seems like at times the world could be against you a little bit, you go get a guy that played for you somewhere before, you bring him in, and he's your Pepper Johnson, and he's your Carl Banks, and he's he helps set the tone, and he, you know, he's your leader guy and he's your voice of reason and when you've got miles garrett calling you out after a game because you can't make sideline adjustments then malik jackson steps in and he sort of lends a voice of reason to that uh he plugs a hole it's not a super premium position also i've been told many times that there's one thing that pff uh those pff grades don't necessarily uh connect up with what a team feels about the player are the uh, the linemen? That's 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 one that's sort of a universal roster building thing to keep in mind. They don't love lineman grades uh, when they are, when they're looking at those grades. So who knows? I mean, maybe Jed's grade isn't as low as, sh- as it should have been. Maybe Malik's wasn't as low as it should have been. But I don't think he like hurt the team necessarily. He might not have helped the team in a huge way, but he didn't really hurt the team in a big way. Chase McLaughlin hurt the team and it's why poor Doug Coleman lost his job yesterday for Pete's sake right the assistant special teams coach gone gone I tell you you know what I will I will humor Mary Kay and change my pick I will I will also say that I mean I think I didn't think of Chase initially because obviously started off the year with some crazy stats and doing things in Cleveland that hadn't been done since Phil Dawson but obviously down the stretch just super disappointing and, and unreliable. Now, Dan, you're usually vulnerable to. I'm, well, yeah, I could never be like one of those political pundits or whatever that goes on <laughs> CNN or whatever. And they just yell at each other. Cause I would just be like, Oh yeah, you're right. That's true. We should do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm doing okay. it. Thank you, you got me. Thank you. Chase McLaughlin. He made his first 10 <laughs> kicks this year. His first 10 kicks. He did not miss, but then he, he regressed not- to the mean. He did not miss a game. He did not miss a kick at the end of a game with a game on the line to win it. Scott, yeah, you on. could say that he his miss against the Raiders came back to haunt them. But I'm, I'm just saying, I don't know. If you want to like biggest nosedive midseason. Yeah, he's your winner. I'm going <laughs> to stick with Malik Jackson. 15 of 21. You're going to go with Malik Jackson over a kicker that converted 15 of 21 attempts on field. The Browns had a horrible run defense. I do think uh, I'm not even humoring Mary Kay. She's made a, a str- regardless of the levels of her voice. Uh, it's a strong case because they have, they have to figure this out. Yes. Now they also have to figure out defensive tackle, but you know, Togi, I'll get a little bit better though, yes. but like they might have to take a kicker like in the fourth round or something. They might have to do something odd to figure this out because it's a problem. Like you- if you, if we did an offseason list of what are the, five things the Browns must change this offseason. Figure out kicker is definitely on there. And it's not going to be him. That right? Like he's it's not going to be him. So I don't know where they're going to go. Are you going to go get a veteran like a Matt Prater kind of thing? There's usually like some 40-year-old guy who's been good floating around, but like this is a huge deal for them. 
and I just didn't think of it. So well done, Mary Kay. I'm with you. I will say I did a survey the other day with our tech subscribers, kind of asking them, I gave them seven like possible positions of need to, you know, get guys this off season. Wide receivers was obviously number one. Defensive tackles was number two. Offensive tackles was number three and kicker ended up finishing right in the middle at four. And not everybody gets to have a Justin Tucker, right? Not everybody gets to have that, but it really does change the football game for you. If you think that you can make, uh, kicks like that you know with 10 times out of 10. Justin Tucker is basically a cheat code like he might be the scariest player in the league I think Dan made that point at some point this season yeah when the Ravens were trailing by two points and they just needed to get to like the 40 yard line to have a chance to win that game he's not the scariest player in the league he's only the scariest player in the league in that specific scenario now, if we had screamed Greg Newsom on number three, Dan, I think I think we would have gotten somewhere with that. Yeah, we we messed up. We we really <laughs> no going back now. We dropped the ball on that one. All right, so I, I guess the vote has been cast, and we are going with our our buddy Chase McLaughlin here. All right, I'm going to save uh, on our list. I had defining moment here. I'm going to save that for last. So we're going to do um, we're going to make that. That's like our best picture award. So that, that one's going to go last. So our next to last award is the biggest miss of the year. And this is as vague as it sounds. It can be mm-hmm. a game they lost. It can be a play. It can be, uh, I doubt anyone thought of it, a trade they didn't make, something, well, whatever. Your biggest miss of the 2021 season. First up is going to be Mary Kay. I already know that I'm going to get shot down on, on this. Uh, because I, I know that there are way, way bigger things than this. And I'm going to, I can already feel it that, that Doug's just going to crush me on this one. But, but um, my first instinct was the Jamie Gillen fumbled snap in Kansas City. That was my first instinct because in some ways, I mean, it loomed large at the end of the season. Right. I mean, you lose you. If you win that game, a lot of things can change. And I just think it it wrecked what could have been a really cool, cool start uh, to the season. So that is my biggest miss. I'm going to jump the line here because I didn't have that specific moment, but I had week one against the Chiefs as my biggest miss, because I wonder maybe Baker still gets hurt in week two. Maybe things still go sideways, but you're looking at a game where you had a two score lead on multiple occasions. You got the football uh, with 249 on the clock and a chance to go win the game. You didn't do it. Um, like I said, you were up 22-10 at the half and then 29-20 with 10-24 left in the fourth quarter. Uh, and then, of course, like you mentioned, Mary Kay, they had the Jamie Gillen fumbled snap. So you want a little more specific on the, on the, the moment. Mm-hmm but I just had week one in general against the chiefs losing that game. When you outgained them, when they weren't the chiefs that they are right now, that, that was a huge miss for this football team. I thought. Didn't we talk leading up to that game and after how little that game meant in the big scheme of things. <laughs> and now we're saying it was the biggest miss of the year. I mean, it's I'm changed. not, but I'm just saying, <laughs> uh, Ashley, what did you have? I'm honestly, I had a few that I was struggling to pick between, but I'm going to go with, intercepting Lamar Jackson four times and losing that first game against the Ravens. I mean, Miles Garrett got up there and said that was in his career, 
the best shot they had against Lamar and they couldn't do it. And then obviously the second game, Lamar didn't play the full game. Um, I just think that was really for me when you started to see when, when we have guys in the exit meetings talking about the offense and defense were not really, something was off. They didn't feel that camaraderie. I think that was really when you started to feel those cracks, like the defense played so well in that game, gave the offense multiple chances. Obviously it was a division game um, and the Browns finished ahead of the Ravens, but it, it, every game counted. And I can make an argument like for a few games, uh, later in the season that they ended up losing and moments in those games. But I think for me, looking back on it now, that was kind of the beginning of the end. That's a good one too. I do want to say just, just that Kansas city thing, Scott, to your point, you're right. We, we did spend a lot of the off season saying that, but I think looking back on that game now, it just embodied so many things that went wrong with this team over 17 games, just the inability to play any sort of complimentary football, the inability to come back and win the game turn it blowing leads. It, it just, it was sort of a, it sort of foreshadowed what was to come over the, over the course of 17 games. Uh, it felt like uh, Scott, what did you have? So my biggest miss of the year is Baker's past Anthony Schwartz in week two what was it second quarter uh, that led to the pick. You could say the route was the biggest miss. You could say the throw was the biggest miss, but it led to the tackle attempt, which led to the injury, which led to everything that happened after it. So that is that's my biggest miss. I think everything bad about this season can be tied back to that moment. I think we're going to discuss that one in the next award here, yeah. too. <laughs> that's, so, <laughs> that's not my defining moment, by the way. No, but I, I'm but, guessing that one's yeah. going to come up on, on, on our next one, too. So we'll we'll put a yeah. pin in that one. Um, I like this here, Scott. This is a this is a good uh, this is a good pick here. I would not have thought about this here, um, but I, I think this works here. I, I like it. Yeah, I do, too. Um, Doug, what was yours? This is a category with a lot of good nominees here. I'm going to say the Chargers game because after they came close but didn't get over the top against Kansas City, and after Baker's hurt, they're still three and one, and they go to LA against this sort of bubbling, you know, another young team that people are fired up about at that point. And they play this shootout game where they get up two scores and Chubb runs for 160 and Joku has his best game ever. Baker throws for 300, no picks, and they can't win. Like they can't, the de- this is the point where the defense is not doing its job and can't get the stops that it needs. And the Chargers score two late touchdowns and they win a 47 42 shootout. And again, it's like, and then all of a sudden, then they get boat raced by the Cardinals next week. Then the next week, Baker sits out and Keenum plays. Then they have this, like, if they could have gotten a four and one there, right? I just, there's a lot of pivot points, I think, on this season. But to look back and think of a game, this offense scored 42 points after Baker was hurt and it wasn't enough. On the road, right? We were talking like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna check out. I kept saying they'll figure out where the bathrooms are for the Super Bowl going into that game. They could have been four and one. They could have been four and one. So I agree with Scott that like that Kansas City game, I was the guy pounding that drum as much as anything. Like it's fine. They don't know need to go win at Kansas City. They showed up, they looked good. Baker got tripped at the end on the thing, throwing the pick, whatever. But man, I'm trying to imagine what this season would have been like if they would have gotten a four and one in a shootout with Justin Herbert. I feel like there would have been some mojo there that might've carried over a little bit. And instead it started sort of started falling apart after that. I think Ashley won me over on the, uh, 
four inter- losing a four interception Lamar Jackson game. And I didn't even have to yell. You she didn't yell. I mean that that I I like that. I mean that is a division game. How often are you going to get an opportunity to beat Lamar Jackson? You pick him off four times. Um you know, just in terms of even you know, tiebreaker implications and all of those kinds of things. Uh that that was huge. Um you convinced me. I like so the that. category I really, uh, was listed as a player, a game that led to the most regret. What is more regrettable than Baker's tackle attempt? Well, I had that for, an, I have that for another well, one. Lose, that's losing that's the only you, reason I didn't losing when that, you get four interceptions. Really, <laughs> really quick. The, the other two that I had, cause they didn't come up um, not getting the first down against the Raiders slash letting the Raiders get the first down at the end of the game to set up Ooh, the field goal. Um, and then my other one was Baker's interception at the end of the Packers game, which I know you can say that is the interception or the missed DPI call on DPJ there. Um, but I, I think that game for me is so regrettable because obviously I don't think anyone gave them much of a chance except for Scott in that game. Um, because he picked them to win, but they lose that game. And then before they play again, their season is over. So that, that for me too, was another big missed miss chance there. I mean, you're not going to get many chances like that against a team like the Packers. I will say about the Ravens game, just where it's situated in the schedule. They were six and five going into that Ravens game when they didn't win. They were already mired in the, this offense can't score more than 17 points stretch where they had barely beaten the lions. They had looked horrible against the Patriots. They had lost to the Steelers. So the Ravens thing I think is, is sort of like a last gasp like if they man you got to win that game but the problems were already like showing up right it it was like well can they can they figure a way to get over the top like i felt like when they're playing the charges like they're three and one they're going to southern california like there's still some we didn't think at that point that the season was like if you would have said going into the charges game with the browns make the playoffs or not like yeah of course they're gonna make the playoffs i think there's already cracks were already showing by the Ravens game. So then does that mean you vote more for the Ravens game or more for the Chargers game? I don't know, but I just still wonder about if it, if it would have put a whole different shine on the entire season, if they had gotten a four and one win in LA. And I think we came out of that Chargers game thinking, Oh man, did we just see an AFC championship game preview? Is this, are they going to do this again in like mm-hmm. January? I, I think there was a feeling of that. And even coming out of the Chiefs game too, I, I think there was a, a feeling of that. I don't want to give this award out right now because I do want to move on to the next one because I do think we need to spend more time on Scott's. Who had that play as the defining moment? I did. I mean, based on basically what Scott said, like so many problems can be tied back to that play that for me, I thought of these two superlatives, like defining was more definitive and that interception slash Baker's tackle attempt there fit this more for me because of how much either definitely ties back to it or possibly ties back to it in terms of the passing game being broken this year and what the implications of that were. This was not the one I put, but I think I, I was trying to be a little too cute, I guess, and come up with something else. Um, but I think that's, I, I think that play, I feel like that play needs to win one of these two categories. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I like it better for Scott's now. I, I like it better. The more that I've thought about it, he's right. Baker sticking that arm out and trying to make a tackle in, in that moment that I'm, I'm siding with Scott for that being the, the biggest regret, biggest miss. 
and and it was a miss. It was by either Baker or Schwartz. It was a miss. I mean, obviously, it is. It's like it's the moment when everything changes. It's hard with some of this stuff of like, did you know it in the moment? Did you did you only know it looking back? I think the fourth pick against the Packers, that despite all the stuff that happened, they're on the road on Christmas against the team that is like the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Baker's thrown three picks, but here they are with a chance to win this game with like the whole nation watching. And that the play is still, is it like, it, it should have been a penalty. I think everybody, most people agree it should have been holding on the defense or pass interference. But is still, is there some Baker culpability in that? Is it all the holding and that it's so angst ridden? And here you were like, would you have made the kick anyway? And what's the strategy there of like, Kevin doesn't believe in the kicker because McLaughlin's out and the backup got all this stuff. But the bottom line was on Christmas Day, you had a chance to beat Aaron Rodgers and Lambeau Field. And the fourth pick to me, I think Browns fans are going to remember that play for a long time, especially depending how Baker Mayfield's career goes from here as a Brown, right? That man, that, that felt like despite all this stuff, it's right there in a huge moment and it didn't happen. So I think I can't disagree with what Scott's saying, but I also think like that should be something too. So I, so I had that as my one giant, like three and a half hour moment. I, I went with Green, I went with Baker throwing four picks against Green Bay because I felt like that was sort of I felt like things were wonky going back, but I just felt like that was sort of the moment when it's like, well, this might really be over. Not like the season, like this might really be over with Baker. And and we I, we don't know how this is gonna play out even over this offseason, if he's gonna be the week one starter or not. But that was sort of the game when I came away. You know, he flies in, he posts that, puts that post up on Instagram, uh, you know, all, all of the, the COVID issues. I, I felt like that was the moment. And after the game, the way guys talked and like, you know, the, the way Miles kind of responded when, when he was asked about Baker, just that was like, that was the game when of all the games, when it kind of felt like it was over, that one really felt like this, this season is done and Baker might be done here too. Now we'll, we'll see that might be wrong, but that, that was the game where it really felt like, yep, that's it. To your point, Dan, I mean, when miles got asked about Baker after that game, the, the silence before he, he just took the longest pause that may have been the loudest pause in, in the history of, you know, this, you know, this whole debacle of this year. Um, I, I definitely agree with you. The, I, I just wonder if like when we talked about the second Steelers game where obviously they were out of it at that point and like Doug, I think was one who wrote the column about, it felt like we were saying bye to two quarterbacks that night. So I, I, I feel like the feelings were worse after the Pittsburgh game. If I'm going with how the vibes felt in real time, almost. I, I, I might've to scream my most defining moment of the season. Do you mind? I have oh. to yell this one. Well, let me yeah. turn my volume down. The whole Hold second on. half of this podcast is just Mary Kay yelling. <laughs> the moment that Odell is always open hits <laughs> the Instagram of Odell Beckham Sr. Odell is always open video. In my mind, the defining moment of this season. 
after that's over, you have a split between your defense and your offense. After Odell leaves, Baker Mayfield is rattled in my mind and never recovered from that blow. LeBron James comes out and joins the save Odell, free Odell campaign, which further hurts the confidence of your quarterback. Uh, you no longer have a deep threat on your offense. The guy who can provide you with some speed after that defining moment is, has a concussion for the next three weeks. And so you cannot stretch a defense by any stretch of the imagination at all. You no longer can do that. Uh, you try to make Donovan Peoples-Jones into your deep threat, ex-dude, and that's not going to work. That's not who he is. He's a good one-on-one -on -one beat my man to the contested ball, third receiver guy. But here he is jammed into Odell's role. Not going to happen. Anthony Schwartz, not going to happen for you. All of a sudden we can stack the box. So there are games in which Nick Chubb can't go out and be Nick Chubb. Why? Because we just don't have anything going on in this passing game anymore. It's over. Defensive guys start to lose faith in their offense. And a disconnect just pops up everywhere. I don't think the team ever recovered. I don't think this football team ever recovered from Odell Beckham Jr. is always open. That was that was my defining moment as well. Just I, I wrote down the OBJ fiasco because um, you got internal discord. You have the issues around Baker being laid out. You have Odell's never-ending storyline. Yep. And the offensive issues as a whole, which are the biggest reason why this team struggled this season. Mm -hmm. um, it was all laid out that week. And there's the fractured team thing, which may have been going on longer, but now it was like you had people coming out and, oh, yeah, sure, we welcome OJ, OBJ back. Um, you had it all out and open for everybody to see. And uh, so that just kind of became a thing, you know? It just all unveiled that week. And... Uh, I don't know. I, I agree with Mary Kay. I think that just kind of lingered. Um, again, maybe it was happening before then, but from the outside, I think we all got a good look at, at everything. And um, I'm sure it was just quite of, it was something probably to be on that team and have it all become public like that for, for that to come out and for Baker to have to deal with it, for Stefanski to have to deal with it, Andrew Barry and everybody. It just, that to me is like, when I think about this season, I'm going to think about that and all the issues that were wrapped up in it. I would like to say that I feel like much like with me, Mary Kay's shouting might be getting the attention here, but really the <laughs> most persuasive part is the underlying cogent football analysis. So Mary Kay, I also, I again am persuaded by you, but it's not about the decibel level. It's about <laughs> the intelligence underneath. So well Thanks. done. Thanks. All right. So here's what we're going to do. These are our final two awards. The biggest miss of the year, the play, the game, the regret, whatever, mm -hmm. is Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield's interception against Houston, which this confused some of our Football Insider subscribers. They didn't word it very well. That was the play when Baker got hurt, just so everyone knows. When we say Baker Mayfield's week two interception, that's the play when he got hurt. Mm -hmm. And the defining moment is Odell Beckham Jr. Actually, Odell Beckham Sr., <laughs> posting a sideways video on Instagram. I think that's, I think that's pretty good. I still, 
that fourth interception against Green Bay is such a thing because it's like it felt like you still could have saved it. And I and I understand. Uh, I, I don't. I think the Odell senior defining moment feels right to me. And again, everything it starts with Baker getting hurt. But I still almost would vote for the fourth interception against Green Bay because, like, despite Baker getting hurt and despite all these other crazy things that happened, they were in Lambeau Field on Christmas Day with a chance to beat Aaron Rodgers. And then that play happened. And like that, like if, if they, if they win that game, all this other stuff had happened, but it's possible we're in a very different place with this franchise. Right. So, and again, I guess it's hard to get away from the, the injury, but I just am making one last pitch for the pick. Did you believe that was going to happen though? Did I believe like when, what was when the happen? Browns got the ball down? In that situation, did you believe that Baker Mayfield was going to lead them down to win the game? No, but I'm trying to think about how much the world would have changed if he did. I think the Raiders game was a bigger missed opportunity. They had a lead in that game. They got the pick late. Um, That game would have meant more to them in terms of making the playoffs because it was an AFC game. Uh, And it's a game you almost won with Nick Mullins at quarterback. Well, there's some part of this that is, I think some of this is not even like a, I mean, Scott's right, but like the emotional heft of it. Yeah. yeah. That that it's Christmas, Lambo, Rogers, three picks already, a last chance for Baker. The kicker's hurt. They're running the ball too much early on. What's Kevin going to do? Like that, 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 the uh, part of it is, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) All right. We'll give that a lifetime achievement award. We have one of those. (laughs) So wait, Dan, before we, before we wrap up, do we feel good when we look back and you read these off? Well, we should have a, we should just make sure that we feel good about everything that we okay. settled upon. All right, so, so here are the awards. MVP, Miles Garrett. Most disappointing player, Baker Mayfield. Rookie of the year, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. Most likely to break out in 2022, John Johnson. Most improved, Joel Batonio. That's a weird one. If you missed that discussion, it makes sense. Go back and listen. Biggest step <laughs> back, Kevin Stefanski. Best acquisition, Jadavian Clowney. Worst acquisition, Chase McLaughlin. Biggest miss, the play Baker got hurt. And the defining moment, Odell Beckham Sr. posting a sideways video on Instagram. That feels right to me. I mean, we all had different nominees, obviously. But that, those were sort of the... Those are the are the awards shook out. I don't have an issue, a big issue with any of those. Yeah, and make sure that when we do the the Odell Beckham Jr. Senior, uh, you know, senior thing, that it's Odell's departure too. That it's all, you know, just the whole Odell is gone. All right, so Dan, you Dan, you're gonna like get the trophies made and mail that to Odell Senior. Make sure it gets to him. <laughs> Defining moment of the year. Yes. Uh, I'm going to find a, I'm going to go to like a thrift store and find an old bowling trophy, put some, some masking tape on the bottom and send it to him. That would be okay. great promotion for the orange and Brown talk podcast. If Odell senior made a video and was like, I would like to thank the orange and Brown talk <laughs> podcast for this gracious award Brown's defining moment. And then LeBron James retweeted him. That would be, that would be big. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. There we go. The award show in the books for the 2021 season. Uh, if you're not subscribed to this podcast, I don't know what you're doing. I actually don't know how you're listening. If you're not subscribed to this podcast. Go get subscribed 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcast, get subscribed and make sure you're a football insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get newsletters, access to exclusive stories, and become one of our text subscribers. Doug, Ashley, Scott, Mary Kay, thanks for doing this. I'll talk to you all later. I came into the podcast thinking today, I'm not going to be animated today. And I couldn't help it.